Well, you could turn to Psalm 84. The series is called Psalms, Songs for Every Season. The idea is that the book of Psalms takes us through every season of faith. Summer, God is good, the sun is shining, everything's right, fall, the weather's changing, things are harder. Winter, everything has gone wrong, and where is God? And then spring, he's back. Things are coming back online. Because we're in books three and four in the Psalms, which is divided into five books, each book almost takes us through predominantly this movement as well. And so we're kind of in the winter uh, Psalms of the Bible. Psalm 84 reminds us that God is better. And no matter what we're going through in life, we should realize that it's God's presence that we should be seeking. It's God's presence where we will find everything that's worth anything in this entire world. This whole week, Lauren and I were uh, camping Monday through Friday. We went up to Ludington, Michigan. How many of you have been up to Ludington, Michigan before? I, I think it's the best Michigan tourist town. I like it the most. If you haven't been to Ludington, check it out. So I've got several camp stories to share during the sermon today. Um, but when you're out in nature, when you see the beautiful lake, when you see the trees and the sunset and the dunes, you're just reminded that there is a holy, awesome God who created us. And you, you long to know him more. You long to, to give him glory. This psalm is all about desiring to know God more, desiring to give, give God glory. Why? Because he's better than anything on earth. Psalm 84 says this. It says, To the choir master, according to the Getif, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Remember, this is a song, and it was used in the Old Testament for worship. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, our O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Now you probably saw it. One of the most famous verses in the Psalms, verse 10. One day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. That was a song, right, in the 90s. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. That thought is really what's unpacked in this entire psalm. Better is one day in the holy presence of Almighty God than thousands of days anywhere else. Let's talk about how God is better. The first thing you can write down is this. Nothing on earth compares with God's holy presence. Nothing on earth 
compares with God's holy presence. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. God is alive, and the psalmist wants to be near him. The courts of God would be the temple or the tabernacle which was set up where you could get to thee. It was called the, the holy place. And then in, in the, inside the inner tent was called the most holy place. You could draw near to the presence of God. The psalmist is desiring to go there. Zion means uh, Jerusalem. And so to go there where God's courts are. Because God's dwelling place is lovely. Let's talk about how man started to enter into God's presence in the Bible. It started in Eden. God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden, and then they sinned. They hid from God, and so God banished them from the garden. And so then they were outside the garden, but Cain and Abel could still come and be in the presence of God. As time rolled on, though, the distance between God and man grew because of sin. So in Genesis 4, it said that's when man began to call out to God, meaning it took an intentionality to call out, to seek him and to find him. Enoch was commended in Genesis 5 because he walked with God, and many walked away from God. He walked with God, and then he was no more. Because he lived a life of abiding presence with God, he was one of only two people who escaped death, natural death, and were brought up into the presence of God. Elijah was the other one. Wow! He knew what it meant to walk with God. My soul long, so he's imagining, I want to go there, I want to go there, and he's thinking about being there. Verse 3, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. So he's there and he's looking around. It's the best. We're here. All oh, the birds are here too. Maybe the psalmist was an animal lover. I don't know. But even the birds are here. They know that they feel right at home in God's presence. First camp story I have to share. We were uh, packing up our tents and two tents. The girls, Ellie and Cassie, stayed in one. Lauren and I stayed in the other. Jared was back home for football. Uh, but as we were packing up the tents, Cassie yells, A mouse! And a little mouse started running around our campsite. Well, that slowed things. Actually, it sped things up. <laughs> we had already packed up the girls' tent, and the mouse hid under our tent. So I'm trying to shoo it away with a broom, and it it was acting weird. It wasn't running away. It was running around us. And so I'm like, what's up with this mouse? So I finally like went near it, and it was running toward me. And I'm like, well, this is the darndest thing. This mouse doesn't... Like, I thought it would let me pick it up because it was right there. Then I saw these two little pink mouse babies on the ground. And the mama mouse picked up baby one and ran off to the woods with it. And I said, oh, there's babies. And then the girls realized that that is where their tent was. So the mama and the babies were under their tent the whole camping trip. And they were like, ew, there were mice under our tent the whole time. They were really grossed out by that. But listen, Mama Mouse felt right at home with them. This is the place where I want to raise my young, right here. It's kind of a compliment, right? 
Now, I say that because here the psalmist is looking around. He's seeing the animals who feel at home in God's tabernacle or temple. They're, they're perfectly at home there. Now, if you know your Bible, there's more to this than just, oh, look, a bird, right? Because when God's holy presence filled Mount Sinai with fire, there was even a law about animals. What happened to even an animal that touched the mountain? What happened? It would be put to death. It would be put to death because nobody was welcoming God's holy presence unless beckoned up like Moses, right? So the fact that now even these small little birds are just there and they're safe, it's meant to tell us something. If you know your Bible, it's meant to tell us something. If it's safe for them, it's safe for us. We are welcome in God's presence. Now, in the Old Testament, that meant they could come to worship in the tabernacle. Nothing on earth compares with God's holy presence, and the psalmist is reflecting on that. He said, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. Now, that's quite expressive. How much do you want to be there? My soul is like, so much, more than anything. So jot this down. Does your heart long to draw near to God? Does your heart draw near, long to draw near to God? Do you want to get closer to Him? Too often our hearts want to get away from God. We want Him and His law and His rule and His people out of our life. And we want less and less. But the psalmist wants more and more. Does your heart long to draw near to God? God. Right now in we can take for granted even the word God. I'm a Marvel fan, and, and I've seen all the Avengers movies, and I even, I, now there's Marvel TV, and so I watch the Loki series. Anyone else watch the Loki series? Anyone else? A couple people. I recommend it. It's really good, but Loki is a god of mischief. He gets stuck because he broke some time rules, and uh, so he now is subject to this trial, Right? And, and he wants to get to the people in charge because they must be stronger than even him. He's a god and they've got him under control. So he wants an audience with these godlike figures who control him. So a god is trying to get into the presence of the gods. And we can take for granted because of our entertainment culture right now the fact that uh, there is no other God but the one true God. The gods we've seen in the movies and on TV are wearing makeup, and all of their powers come from some computer nerd late at night who is pushing buttons that say lightning, lightning, right? It's all fake. I'm sorry if I'm ruining this for you. Thor is not a god. <laughs> These people go home at night, and they need a lot of sleep to function. There is only one true God. One true God. And here's a picture. This is not what he looks like. That's not a God. That's a man acting like a God. So does your heart long to draw near into the presence of the only true God? To, to get there into the presence of of the divine almighty being. Does your heart long for that? My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts 
of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy. Now that's interesting because the presence of the Holy God is simultaneously the most terrifying and exhilarating place you can ever be. It's both. Because only God can condemn you to an eternity of fiery torment apart from Him. He has the authority and the power to do that. And only God can prepare a place in paradise where your soul can be filled with bliss forever. Only God can do that. Which is it? And the psalmist here is there in God's presence, the living God, and there's no fear. There's no fear. He's singing for joy. Is that your heart? Does your heart long to draw near to God? Jot this down. Do you sing for joy with God's people? This is a psalm of ascent, even though it's not titled that. It's about God's people coming to worship God in Jerusalem. And therefore, there's a commemoration of us, God's people, going to sing to him. Does your heart long to sing for joy with God's people? Imagine, imagine if all the Christians in the country got together two, three, four times a year in the capital, and we all came together just to, just to sing until we couldn't sing anymore. We went again and again, and we just filled the nation with praise. And imagine then if it wasn't just the Christians, but imagine if every person in the country came. That's what Israel did. Can you even imagine what that would feel like? We can't because we've never done it, but Israel did it all the time. This is specifically what the psalmist is desiring, all of us coming together and worshiping. He wants to be singing with other people of faith. It would be similar today to attending a huge worship event. For me, when I was a newer Christian, I didn't know very many other Christians. I knew one or two. Lauren and I started dating, got married, and her whole side of the family had generations of Christians. And so they, uh, her parents liked to go to this event in Indianapolis called Praise Gathering. Anybody ever been to Praise Gathering? Used to be in Indianapolis. Very excited. Lois, she did a shake and a wave, right? And we went to Praise Gathering. I don't know what Praise Gathering is, but we're going to the Praise Gathering. And they're like, oh, the Gathers are there. I'm like, I don't know who they are either, but here we go. I was a newer Christian. So we show up to Praise Gathering and there's tens of thousands of people in this arena and they all start singing praise and I'm like, wow. And the Gathers got up and everybody loved the Gathers and there were choirs from all over the country there. And I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever been to. Everyone loves Jesus and we're all singing about it. We went there several times. It was huge. Then I became a worship or I'm sorry, a youth pastor. And when I was a youth pastor, one year I went to the National Youth Workers Convention in Dallas, Texas. Can you imagine a whole hotel full of youth pastors? It was insanity. It was insanity. And when we all got to worship and David Crowderband was there leading the worship, I can't even describe to you what pandemonium that was. People were jumping and screaming and singing. The floor started to roll. Like, like an earthquake, it start, the floor started to move. And everyone started freaking out because we thought we were going to die. And then the next session, the, the conference leaders had to come up and they had an engineer there. He like literally had a pocket protector with the pens. And he's like, everything's okay. He's like, this floor was designed for events like this so that, so that you can worship and you can sing and the floor is intended to move. And we're all like... Now we know. And it, now it was like wave worship. The floor was moving because of our worship. And I was like, this is amazing. So it's that kind of feeling 
that this psalmist is longing for. Ask the whole country together singing praise to God. Get me there. And hey, what is your heart? Do you sing for joy with God's people? With God's people. Some of the sweetest times of worship Lauren and I have had is there's a senior pastor in Wise Retreat we go to each year and everybody in the room knows that blessing and that burden of, of carrying a church and, and, and with, with God's Spirit helping God's people to move forward and they know the scars and they know the joys and they know the blessings and they know the spiritual attacks and, and just to see and to hear what they're going through and what they've been through and what happened to them, the big breakthrough, and then, and then to sing together is so sweet. This is what the psalmist longs for, to be around God's people singing. This is why we gather every week, to be around God's people singing. And check your heart. Is your heart saying, there's nothing on earth like that? Or is your heart desiring less? My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Jot this down. Do you desire more and more fellowship with God? More of that. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who desire to be near God. Hosea 6.3 says this. Let us, we'll put this on the screen. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. Do you know the Lord? Do you desire to know him more and more? Is your heart toward him? Robert Murray McShane said this, Be as much as you can with God. I declare to you that I had rather be one hour with God than a thousand with the sweetest society on earth or in heaven. All other joys are but streams. God is the fountain. How's your heart? Do you long to be with God? Do you, does your heart and flesh cry out, more, more of that? Do you desire? When I was a kid, I was raised Catholic. We went to church twice a year. And it was torture for me. I know devout people who love the Lord in that tradition. I wasn't one of them. I got to get dressed up. I got to go there, sit, stand, kneel. If you fall behind, you could get injured. That kneeler came down on my foot once, and I could not move until the lady next to me was done. And I had zero desire to be there. None. Then in college, I got saved, and I started going to this church, and I, I wanted to go. I wanted to be there. I wanted to do anything I could to help. I wanted to be there for the first time in my life. Has that change happened for you? As a pastor now, I, I get to enjoy being a full-time servant of Christ. Now I have to be careful not to take for granted the things of God, not to, not to have my heart for God dulled because of how much I'm in the Word, because of how much I'm at church, because of how much I'm around God's people. I've got the opposite issue now. I'm, I'm here so much I have to be careful not to grow cold to the things of God. But nothing on earth compares with God's holy presence. 
Hey, does your heart long to draw near to God? Do you sing for joy with God's people? Do you desire more and more fellowship with God? Or are you like, get me out of here? Number one, nothing on earth compares with God's holy presence. Number two, question, how can we enter and enjoy God's presence? This is a reflection from what we're hearing here. This point is more of an expansion of what we're hearing in the psalm. Most of the points spring right up out of the text. This is more of a question that comes from the text. Well, in the Old Testament, if they had to go to Jerusalem, they had to go, and they had to get there, are we all supposed to just get on a plane and go to Israel to get close to God? No. See, we have to understand our Bible to know how we actually get into God's presence. So this is a theological point. How can we enter and enjoy God's presence? Well, the tabernacle, the tent, became the temple. The temple was destroyed and then rebuilt. And the glory of God filled the temple, the first temple that Solomon built. But because Israel turned away from the Lord, the glory of God, in Ezekiel's eyes, left the temple. And so God was displeased with Israel. And when Jesus showed up, the glory returned to the temple. Jesus coming back to the temple filled the temple with glory. And those who were waiting for it knew the glory of God had returned. Therefore, the temple was the holy presence of God. But then when Jesus showed up, he became the place of God's presence. And we can be in the presence of the most amazing person at any point through Jesus. Have you ever met a famous person? How many of you have met a famous person? You've met a famous person. When you meet someone who's a somebody who's famous, you get a little weird, don't you? You're like, oh, it's them. And you feel a little odd because you're meeting someone who's really a somebody. When I was in college, I was a DJ. And I would DJ parties, and, and I'd get my assignments, two or three parties a weekend. It was a dream college job. One weekend, the boss is like, you're going to DJ Chris Columbus's party. And I'm like, the explorer? He's like, no, the director. I'm like, oh, Chris Columbus. I didn't really even know who he was. Uh, but check this out. Then I found out he had directed, back then, Home Alone. He had directed Mrs. Doubtfire. He had directed, uh, he was in involved in Adventures in Babysitting, one of my childhood movies, and also The Goonies somehow. He he learned under Steven Spielberg, Harry Potter director, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to meet him. So I went to his house and got all my DJ equipment set up. It was a, his daughter's birthday party. I was DJing, and so I got it all set up. And then he came out, and I'm like, there he is. He directed Home Alone. Hi, Chris. Nice to meet you. And I got all weird. A little starstruck. And he's like, hey, no problem. Good to see you. Got any new movies coming out? I'm like trying not to faint because I'm meeting a great director from Hollywood. Oh, yeah. And he's in shorts. And he's in a family party. There's like 20 people there. If you need anything, go ahead inside. So I went into his house. He's got a Wurlitzer right there. I was like, Wow. I'm in his house. For a college kid, it was really incredible to meet an incredible person. The psalmist is describing a similar experience of going into God's presence. How crazy is it that when we meet somebody who did something, we're like, oh! But then when we think about 
communing and fellowshipping with the holy God, we could actually be like, meh, meh. Isn't that wrong? Isn't that sad that our hearts can get so confused about who really is a somebody? And Jesus is the ultimate somebody who's ever lived. The only Son of God. It's crucial that you understand how to get into God's presence. It says in verse 5, verse 4, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. He's commending those who, in their heart, are always longing to go back to God's presence. He's commending those who actually serve in the temple or the tabernacle full-time. He's envying them. But it would be a mistake to assume that this is how we are supposed to enter God's presence. You see, when Jesus came into the world, everything changed. He told this to the woman at the well. A time is coming when you will neither worship in Jerusalem or here on this mountain. God is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. And she realized she was talking to the Messiah. Jesus, therefore, is the place of God's presence. Jot this down. So to enter God's presence, we must trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. Everything about the Old Testament temple pointed to Christ, who is the Lamb of God. And therefore, here is one of the most important questions you have to ask yourself. Has there ever been a point in your life where you became fit to enter the holy presence of Almighty God, where you become welcome, where you find a home in God's holy presence. Has that ever happened to you in your life? Many people are living with the grave theological error of thinking that from the moment they've been born, they've been welcome in God's presence, and listen, they are dead wrong. Nothing could be further from the truth. We are not welcome in God's holy, heavenly presence until we have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. If you've been all throughout your life thinking, well, sure, I can just go to God. He made me. The Bible says even the demons believe in God and they shudder. Maybe you've been living with a mistake of thinking that you've always just been able to go into God's presence. You've been welcome there. I would challenge you later today to just pick a house on your block and just walk in uninvited and see what happens. Try it as an experiment. And then imagine after that ordeal, which will probably leave you in cuffs or worse, tased, um, imagine what happens if you think you're just going to walk into heaven uninvited. Much worse. If you've believed the lie that you're just as is welcome in God's presence, you're denying the whole reality for why Jesus had to come down here to save you. I would just invite you to repent of believing that lie today and to once and for all finally believe the terrible truth about yourself that you actually belong in hell and that Jesus came to solve that problem for you. Then you'll look up and say, great is the Lord! And you'll actually love Jesus because you, you realize only he can save your doomed soul. That's where worship comes from. Wow. Trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. 
John 14, 6 says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Are you welcome in God's holy presence only if you have been saved by God's holy Son? Have you been saved? Have you been saved? Then Jesus becomes the entrance point. He called himself the gate. He's your entrance to get into God's holy presence where you can go for the first time and enjoy God's presence. Jot this down. Commit to gathering with a church family. It says here in the Old Testament that there, there, there's this gathering, right? There's this group coming through the Valley of Baca. They don't know where that valley is, but uh, it was apparently a desolate place because there was no water. But as they come, there's springs, rain, covering it in pools. It, it shows God enabling them on their way and sustaining them. They go from strength to strength. Far, far from being afraid of entering God's presence, the more they draw near, the stronger they get, the more they're sustained. This is showing us how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to continue to enter God's presence together with the community while He actually enables that to happen. O oh God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, God of Jacob. Say la. We're talking to God together. So when it when it describes here being in the gathered worship community, it foreshadows the church when we would meet weekly. And committing to that is important. Being a part of the gathered community is biblical. Now we understand that when it comes to the presence of God, the New Testament gives us a lot of theology on that. As if it wasn't incredible enough that Jesus came down to this planet and dwelled here, the Holy Spirit also came at Pentecost. And so those who believed in Jesus as Savior receive the Holy Spirit inside as God's dwelling place and presence. That means that we become, this is the most unbelievable thing, we become the temple of God. It says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, we'll put it on the screen, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? That's plural. You, we, we are God's temple and God's Spirit dwells in us. That's also true on an individual level. Your body becomes the temple of God's Spirit, and therefore, together and individually, we are the holy place of God. And so we have to understand the gravity of that. In Hebrews 10.25, it says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Because we are the holy temple of God, we want to continue to gather together to enjoy his presence that falls in power when we worship him. How can we enter and enjoy God's presence? Trust Christ as Savior and Lord. Commit to gathering with a church family. And jot this down. Develop personal spiritual devotions. It says here, uh, Hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. The model, the, the tense shifts here from my soul longs, verse 2, and then they, the group, those are going together. And then now verse 8, it's, it's hear my prayer again. So it's individual and it's also corporate. And therefore, the psalmist has a personal relationship with God. Jesus met regularly with individuals who had questions or problems, and he'll meet with you too. In fact, in Revelation 3.20, he says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. 
I like what Psalm 119, 10 to 11 says. With my whole heart, I see you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see how seeing and seeking God is synonymous here with knowing his commandments and being in his word. God meets us when we're in our Bible. He hears us when we call out to him. That's what it means to have a personal relationship with God. That's modeled here in an Old Testament fashion, but we are also beckoned in the New Testament to develop this habit of entering and enjoying the presence of God. Number one, nothing on earth compares with God's holy presence. Number two, how can we enter and enjoy that presence? Trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, commit to gathering with a church family, develop personal spiritual devotions. All of that can be ways that we echo what's happening here in the psalm. And then come the blessings. Number three, jot this down. Enjoy the blessings of God's favor. Enjoy the blessings of God's favor. It goes on to say in verse 9, Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. I love this. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. The blessings here are amazing. No good thing does God withhold. He's a sun. He's a shield. He's bestowing favor and honor. Why would I go to the presence of God? Why would I meet with him again and again? Maybe you have people in your life who are like, you go to church every week? Why? What's in it for you? What we find in the presence of the Lord cannot be found anywhere on earth. The power, the love, the favor, the perspective. That's why the psalmist is saying such amazing things. Are you abiding in God's presence on a daily basis and together in community? Do you seek more and more of that through Christ? Many Christians neglect God's presence. They don't seek to attend church regularly. They don't build spiritual friendships with other Christians. They don't really have a Bible reading plan. They don't serve others outside of people in their family. The psalmist here says, boy, I'd, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to live in the tents of the wicked. He'd, he'd rather be there serving in the lowest role in his estimation. Is that your heart? Do you have a heart to serve others in God's presence? Some Christians don't sing much. Their hearts have drifted from God. They don't seek first the kingdom of God. They seek last the kingdom of God. They give God leftovers. Maybe they're just tired from life. So busy. Or maybe they're bored. They feel like they've heard it all. Or maybe they're hurt. And they don't know why God has allowed something to happen. But for whatever reason, they are missing it. They're missing out regularly on the blessing of God's favor in his presence. We are beckoned here again to enjoy the blessings of God's favor and presence. Jot this down. He will answer your prayers. He will answer your prayers. Our needs are welcome in God's presence, and he delights to hear and respond to us. But Psalm 27, 14 reminds us, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. We're praying for a lot of things right now. <clears throat> Lauren and I are our oldest daughter's going back to college this week, praying for her safety and spiritual growth, everything academically, financially, a job, friends, 
praying for her. Cassie will be finishing up high school this year, praying for her to have wisdom to know what decision to make and where to go for doors to open. Jared's entering high school this year. The season will be a season of strength where he grows in every way, mind, body, heart, and soul. We're looking for a car because Ellie got into a fender bender. We're praying for that. Home repairs are still there, even though we've kind of busted the budget getting all of our house renovations done. And so we're like, okay, a few things still need to happen. Uh, Praying, praying, praying for all of that. The people in the church, when we have staff meetings every week, every week we have needs. Every week we pray for people in the church at our staff meeting with what's happening in their lives. Are you praying? He will answer your prayers. He will answer your prayers. Jot this down. He will guide your way. He will guide your way. Hear my prayer, verse 8. And then it says in verse 11, the Lord God is a sun and a shield. I love that, a sun. He, He brightens up the way. He guides us through the darkness. He's our light. He is our sun. He will guide your way, usually through his word, usually through his people, A lot of Christians don't know how to make a biblical decision. They kind of trust their gut. God told me. Well, actually, if you know your Bible, this is how God tells you. This this first. Well, what does God's Word say about it? Then godly advice. What do God's people find in the Word? Then sound wisdom and understanding. And And then after that comes personal gut feelings and intuitions and the imperceptible vibes and moods that make us choose something. The world gets that backwards. God will guide your way. Isaiah 30, 21 says this, Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right, when you turn to the left, this idea of God's word being the guide on the path of life. And I love how it says here that they go, verse 7, from strength to strength. God fills the way with water as you follow him and trust him. And then jot this down, he will protect you and provide for you. He will protect you and provide for you. He's a shield. He bestows favor and honor. He's a protector and he's a giver. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. A lot of people live in this life thinking God is stingy, worse than Scrooge McDuck. They think God has given them so little and that they need so much more not realizing that in Christ we have every spiritual blessing imaginable. And in the next life, our reward is with him. The inheritance God has prepared for us is mind-blowing. But we chase nickels down here, forgetting we have the treasure of heaven in our pocket already. In other words, we treat the treasure of God like it's trash. And we treat the trash we find on earth like it's treasure. Boy, do we get it backwards. But the truth is, God has withheld no good thing from us. Not one. And in Christ, we find everything necessary for life and godliness. In this world and in the next. Do you believe that? Do you believe God will protect you? And that he will provide for you? Do you treat God like a good father? who doesn't give you a stick or a stone or a scorpion when you're in need. He's a good father. And he proved it by sending Jesus once and for all. One last camp story. We knew that uh, when we went to Ludington, 
we would, uh, we would be able to do a lot of fun things. There was a river, and I've got some camp pictures that I can show you. I don't think I showed them. Uh, not sure if I showed them earlier. There's where we went. It's just beautiful, gorgeous. Uh, here's the next picture, and there's me with a broom. We forgot the broom stick, but we found one. Here's the next picture, <laughs> and there's our campsite where the mouse attacked us, the mama mouse. Um, but here's another picture. Uh, we knew that we needed to tube down a river, and so they had kayaks there, but it's funner if you use the tubes. And so uh, I brought my tube. You've seen this before. You can go on to the next picture. Um, but my tube was the bull, the inflatable bull that we found. It was an Aldi find. Uh, it was like 20 bucks, and it is amazing. Everywhere we go, people love the bull. So I was going to float down the river in that. Uh, and um, everyone else in Lauren's family, because we camped with her family, they were trying to find tubes to float down the river, couldn't find tubes, there was a tube shortage. Funny story about how her mom and her brother were looking online at the same site trying to buy the same tube because you couldn't find them. So they overspent. They finally were talking about how it was impossible to find tubes. And then Lauren walks into the camp store, the little camp canteen they've got there, and they put an addition on uh, at some point. And, and so uh, here's a picture of Lauren, and what she found there was all the tubes in the world, <laughs> all the tubes in the world. So she told her family about that. They were like, what? We couldn't find any tubes. The camp had everything necessary to have fun at the camp. Now, that's a lighthearted story to share, but here's the point. When you think God doesn't have what you need, when you think there's some shortage in heaven, you're not going to find what you need up there. Better keep clicking around down here. Boy, are you wrong. When I fear God's not going to meet my needs, that somehow he's going to hold back, boy, am I wrong. Boy, am I wrong. That might be the way we should start our prayers this week. Boy, was I wrong. God is amazing. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. It's all there. Everything I need. He will protect you and provide for you. He'll guide your way. He'll answer your prayers. What a psalm. Nothing on earth compares with God's holy presence. We can enter and enjoy it through Christ. And we can enjoy the blessings that come with his favor. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Wow. Let that be the cry of our hearts this week. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this psalm, and it highlights ultimately you. It highlights that you came down so that we can enjoy knowing God personally. There are some here this morning who heard the truth that they have not been welcome in the presence of God because of their sin. They've never repented. Maybe they've tried religion. Maybe they've tried moralism. That doesn't work. Maybe they've stayed out of trouble. That's not enough. That's not enough. And here today they've heard that it's only by telling the truth and saying, forgive me, God, for all of my sins. Be my Savior, Jesus. Only then can they be made a new creation. Can they be turned into someone welcome and fit to dwell with the holy God for eternity? I pray that right here, right now, there would be some who for the first time are saying, Jesus, save me. Save me. Transform me. 
Forgive me. Release me. And Lord, for those of us who have walked with you for a long time, maybe we've grown dull to your word. Maybe we've desired less to be around your people. Maybe our hearts have grown cold to serving others. I just ask that you would forgive us and light that fire again. Help us to be able to say, as our, as our hearts and our flesh cry out, as we long to be in your presence, as a deer pants for the streams, help us again and again to want more and more of you. Lord, I pray that as we draw near to you, you would draw near to us, that you would rekindle our passion for you and use us to change the world. And we pray this, O oh Lord, in your name. Amen.